Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Back Porch Conjure Workout. E5 video. Grab a seat, grab a chair. I'm a little late, but I'm happy I'm here. Grab a blanket, copper squat. Get some tea, some water, some juice. Three o'clock somewhere, so you can be even pour you a stiff drink. I love that song that Anita Baker made. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you want to cry. Sometimes you play the fool. 
but you got to hold on a little longer and you got to be a little stronger and you can win. <laughs> you can win and everything is going to be yours. Cool song. Cool song. Cool song. <laughs> and it made me think of <clears throat> how we get stuck in our old ways. <laughs> so let me explain. Right? When I was young, I had a friend named Vanessa. Now, I hung around in the projects, Sufton, you know, all the hood places, right? Trap houses, as y'all call today. But back then, it was the spot, right? So, catch up. So, it was the spot. So, I hang out all the spots. I was everywhere. Everywhere, right? Vanessa wasn't like that. Vanessa wanted something out of life. Vanessa, she knew everyone. Vanessa was that kid. She knew everyone. But she still had her own identity. She ain't true size. She ain't, you know, when you step to a step correct, right? So me and her built a friendship. That was my homegirl. We would be around each other every day. And I noticed, my mom was happy because as I noticed I hung around her, I stayed out of trouble. Before I was staying in trouble, I was getting locked up with all my friends doing, doing the immature ghetto shit. Let's be, be honest. So me hanging with Vanessa kept me on the right path. Uh, I got to meet people that I normally wouldn't meet. Um, I was outside of my, you know, out of out of the hood, so to speak. And Vanessa used to rent, run for the Springfield Splinters in Colgate. So I would go with her to the track meet. You know what I'm saying? We would we exercise, you know, tone up your body and stuff. And I would run with her. And they wanted me to be on the team, right? And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, mind you, now I'm, I'm different places. I'm outside of my hood. I am, you know, because I was never scared to go anywhere. Like, I would venture everywhere. That, that shit never scared me. I was always, you know, if I lived in Queens, I was in Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan. I was in Brooklyn on Carol and Rogers. I was in the Bronx on Ogden Avenue. I was in Manhattan all up and down Harlem, you know, from 145th. All the way down, right, to 116th or 110. I would be in Staten Island, Vesterville. I would be in Jersey. I would I would be everywhere. Like, there was no place that I wouldn't go. You know what I'm saying? So, that was never a problem. But the people I was hanging out with was, you know, nowadays we call them low vibration or whatever. But I hung out with, you know, the hood. Like, I was there. Okay. And I didn't have to worry because I didn't bother with bullshit. So, you know, I would just be there. We'd be chilling, smoking weed, laughing, cracking jokes, all of that. So, and I made friends. So it was, you know, to me, it wasn't bad to me. But I put myself in bad situations where they had shootouts. My ass could have got shot. I don't know the neighborhood. I'm running anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like... I always put myself back then coming up like my mom used to be like, you know, I, I just get worried about you because your ass can get shot. You get killed and nobody's not going to know because you, you everywhere. Sit your ass down. Even as adults, still the same somewhat. So, OK. But 
with Vanessa, I hung with a different caliber of people, young people that were doing things that were positive, that was doing things, right? Here I am, I'm meeting people running track, people doing positive, productive things. Now, like I said, the song, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes you want to cry, sometimes you play the fool. You got to hold on. Now, back then, right? Talking years ago, <laughs> back then, it wasn't cool to be productive. It wasn't fly to be with the kids that was moving in a positive direction, right? And I wanted to be a part of the mess because physically I was mature. Mentally, I wasn't. And that's on everything. Mentally, I wasn't. I was 13. I didn't want to be in a positive setting because I had that opportunity. Instead, I wanted to hang with the people that gossip, was trying to find out who was fucking who, was being around and mess, fighting, you know, uh, jumping people, running around with a crowd, just fucked up things. That's what I, I wanted to be that into. Even though I had some great opportunities, 13, here I am. You know, running track, doing all of that. But I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I was scared. Let me be honest. I was scared. No, these people are going to judge me. And they weren't. I was in my head. And I'm making a whole scenario of talking myself out of shit. Because now I'm going back to the, to the mess. When I had great opportunities. Vanessa... Did we have a falling out? You know, Vanessa was the type of person, you can go back. I already know what's back there. I'm not. Yo, you be good. I see you in passing. Yo, what's up, Nasty? Yo, what's up? She, and she'll laugh, but she still, and she, she did. She wound up doing some amazing things. That I will give it to her. She was focused. She didn't let nobody take her off of her path, and she kept going. You know what I'm saying? And I am so great and so happy that she didn't lose focus and she knew what she wanted. She knew, yo, this is not, this life that y'all playing with, I don't want to do that shit. I know that there's better out there. Now, did I learn this lesson? Yes. Years later, after I had kids and while I was married, when I had the opportunity when I was 13, I did have that opportunity, but I wanted to play the fool. I wanted to be in the mess. I wanted to gossip. I wanted to run with the people that put their lives in, in stupid situations. I wanted that. That was exciting to me. Right? Out in the street, hanging out, instead of being home at a decent hour studying. Nah. Because that's what Vanessa did. She'd be like, yo, come on. We come into my crib. We're going we gonna to do homework. And we'll have like these damn ring dings. And she'll eat those or a snicker. And a, a Coca-Cola soda. And she'll do her homework. You know what I'm saying? Or we'll go to the library and, you know, read or whatever. Yeah, that was cool. Now, I never said I wasn't intelligent. I'm always going to be a smart kid. My father embedded that in us. But to me, to me back then, that was a waste of time. Because it was more, I see people outside fighting. I used to be wanting to go. And she used to, she used to, yeah, she used to try to speak, you know, um, like, knowledge into me, like, not even knowledge. Let me just say she would try to speak to me of reality. Like, yo, why you want to go out there 
and be a part of that and see them fighting. All that's going to happen is, yo, you're going to get in trouble. Your mom going to get mad. You might get in a fight. Like, why? For what? But what I do, yo, hold my, watch my book and I'm outside. Then I come back and she's doing her homework. And I knew she used to be frustrated, but I always do it. Come back and be like, yo, they fighting because shorty, you know, was fucking with a man. And, and she used to be like, is that important? Like, how is that going to affect you 10 years down the road? Me being 13 didn't see me as because people had already labeled me. Oh, now, mind you, I wasn't an ugly girl, so that's one. I had long hair, but people had already, yo, you're never going to be nothing. Your brothers in them are thieves and, and drug dealers, so in your house, there's nothing great coming out of there. You're not going to be nothing. You're always going to be beneath me. That's how people would see us, right? But my mom made sure she embedded in us, yo, you're great, you're amazing, you're beautiful, but... Here it is, you have people that's in your community that's telling you you're not going to be nothing. This was before I had my son. I was 13. I'm not going to be shit. You know, oh, she don't have potential. So, to me, as Vanessa saw 10 years down the line of being, you know, uh, well-established or educated and all of that, I didn't see that. Because I wasn't ready to see that. I still wanted to stay in the negative, the low vibration, the, you know, the bullshit, the messy. I want to be a part of the gossiping. Man, I want to do all of that. I, I didn't want anything positive back then. What? No. Like I said, I went back. One day I got up. I ain't go to practice with her. Man, I was hanging out, bugging out, chilling, all in somebody's business, down in the projects. Did she stop? Did she come and say, yo, you know, what's up? She didn't encourage him, do nothing. She kept on going. She was over there by the school. She was doing, and she never dogged me out. She didn't say, oh, wow, this bitch, you know, she rather, Vanessa kept doing what she was doing. That was it. And when I would see her in passing, yo, what's up, Ness? What's up? She'd be like, yo, what's up, Stab? You good? Yeah. And she'd keep it moving. That's it. It took me years years where I had my children and I was married to remove myself. I got up one day, stopped smoking weed. I went to a church and I started reading. I started all of that. And I remember one day sitting there, it was like Vanessa had came in my head because they had made a post and Vanessa was there standing next to someone. I said, oh shit, that's Nessa. I ain't seen Nessa in years. And I saw a sister I ain't see her. I saw a sister in Atlanta, Shirley. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, she's doing great, you know. And it wasn't no hatred, like, wow, or, you know, I could have did that. That's fucked up. Nah, I was like, yo, tell her I love her. And that was it. When I got older and I started seeing, because, man, I was in fights, running into people's houses, getting jumped, having my friends that I thought was my friends dog me out, all of that. But that's what I asked for. That's what I wanted. You know, because you're comfortable. You're comfortable. Oh, because this is, this is familiar. Anything outside of you, that's unfamiliar. That's scary. That's what if I fail? Or No, I don't think like that. No, you know, because 
nah, you know, I don't, I don't mess with those people. They're going to judge you. That, that's that's the, the story I kept telling myself. I kept feeding myself. Like, nah, I can't mess with those nerds, those positive people. Like, nah, you know, because they're going to judge me and all of that. Because I built this story in my mind. So all the friends I associated with, that's all they knew was mess and gossip and, you know, sitting there talking about people down and people lying on people, just doing all that. That's what I associated myself with when I was younger, coming up, right? And every, every place I went, those are the people I connected to, the gossip, the mess, the motherfuckers that didn't want an education, that never read a book. Now, mind you, mind you, right? <laughs> I remember riding the train going to Brooklyn. I used to put my, my book, because I, I love to read, because I love to write. So I always read everything. And I remember leaving my book in my bag. So when people come, I, I knew how to play stupid well. I did. I know how to dumb myself down so I can fit in. And my pops used to get so fucking mad. Oh, my God. My father used to get mad. My father was a more. He would get so mad. He used to be like, why, why are you doing that? And I used to be like, what? You know, I was rebellious a little bit. You know, never disrespecting him. Nah, that, that was never played. But I would, rebellious mean I would just fail a test or I'll write my name on it and make up an excuse. Oh, I'll get nervous when I take tests. My pops would look at me like, what? You know, and I would fail. So I can be with the cool kids. I remember when I got, I graduated from public school, right? PS40. They put me, back then you had 717273, but you had 7 ESP, which is like the highest, the, the advanced 7th graders, where we'll learn Spanish and French and we'll do calculus and all that, right? <laughs> That's the class I was in when I graduated. I was in seven ESP. I used to be next to, it was crazy. Um, my friend Teresa, her Mark, her stepbrother, you know, cause he was, I say nerd, but he was very advanced. And I would sit there, right? And I remember sitting in history and I'm looking at all these kids and stuff. And I was like, yo, this class is boring, I'm out. Well, I was selling weed, too, in school, so. And can't sell weed to nerds. They don't smoke. They don't do none of that. So I need to make sure I have my clientele and my customers tight. So, and then I wanted to show off. I wanted to show off. So, um, I just didn't, I didn't want people to see me as a nerd out in the street. Hence why I used to always hide my book. Any book I was reading, I'll hide it in my in my bag, my book bag. Because, you know, smart girls weren't popular back then. Well, they were, but not in my circle of people I hung out with. So, <clears throat> I got up. Now, mind you, I'm in, a, in an advanced class. I got up and just started running around in 7-3. Then I was in 7-4 because my friends was on there. All my friends. So, I would just go to different classes and hang out with them. And they used to be like, step down, you don't belong in here. Like, nah, but you know, I was just hanging out like, come on, let me stay in here. Oh my God. I help out. Uh, you know, so I know how to 
my mother used to always say, me and my brother, man, you know, we were the bee charmers. We knew how to, con, you know, con the teachers. And they'd be like, okay, um, but don't do this tomorrow. I wound up being in class all day. Like, okay. As long as I wasn't in my class. And it was crazy because the principal, Miss Pruitt, she was like, if you don't stay in your class, I'm going to call your mother. Yeah, right. My mother be tired. She can come in from up here. And I never forget, me and my brother were standing outside of ISA, Richard Grossley. And I'm popping shit. And here my mother turns around the fucking corner. I jetted home. And my mother, being who she was, she said, oh, I'm going to fuck y'all up. I jetted home. I ain't give a fuck. You are not going to embarrass me in front of everybody. I seen what parents do. I seen how kids are. Curse me out and whoop my ass in the house. You ain't going to do that shit out here in the street. I ran all the way home. Because they had told my mother that I am um, being horrible and I'm not sitting in my class. So my mother put in put it in the dumbest class you got. Since she want to be that way, put it in there. I wound up going to like 7.15, right? Seven, yeah, because it, it went all the way up to 6. It was 7.7, seven, 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 Then anything after that was like those kids, you know, no shade. They needed help. I didn't give a fuck. I was like, all right. So I got in there. Everybody in there was bad kids, kids that really couldn't read, like reading out loud. And that used to irk me, right? So I always stayed in fights and arguments because when you read out loud, my pops taught us how to pronunciate, how to, you know, your vernacular is everything. And you must speak clear so people can understand it. Say the word. If you don't know it, sound it out in your head. So my pops would do that with us when we was kids in first and second and third grade. So here it is. They had to read out of the book and they're stuttering. So I would read it. Like I used to get so frustrated. I used to be like, yo, it's this. Oh my fucking God. Like I would, I would get so mad. And that's how I used to get in trouble because the teacher told my moms and them, she's too advanced for this class and she's bored. So put her back in the, her original class. And, but then my original class, because I wasn't there and I fell behind. See, all of this makes sense. I fell behind. So I became angry because I couldn't catch up and I was mad. So when I got mad, I just throw in the towel, you know. And the reason why I mentioned my friend Teresa's stepbrother, Mark, because he would laugh and be like, uh, that's what your ass get. Now, he was telling the truth. That's what you're behind get because you should have stayed in class, but you running around with all these people and now you're falling behind. Now you don't even belong in the class because you're stupid. So me and him would fight and his moms would come up there. God bless the dead. And, you know, and like they knew me, we all lived on the same block and they used to be like, yo, this is not like you. And, you know, at one time they was like, oh, she might be on drugs. And I smoked weed. I sold weed, but I wasn't going to smoke my own shit. So it was like, nah. And my mother was like, no. She's just fucking angry because she fell doing all of that. She missed her assignments. So now she's falling behind. So that's why I like this song because sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you cry. Sometimes you play the fool. I played the fool because I thought popularity was everything. I thought being around messy people and gossiping and doing all that was the way of the world. 
I thought that when you are dumb and you don't try and you don't lift yourself up, that's what you're supposed to do because that's how people see you. Right? Now, mind you, my parents always tell me, you're smart, you're brilliant, you're this, making me study. In the house, okay. But outside, amongst my peers and people I knew, I put on an act. They liked you better when you were dumb. But technically, they didn't. They did not. Some people, and I, I had a conversation with someone, and they were saying they know people that don't that can't read. But it didn't stop them because they started investing in themselves to learn how to read because this will get me where I need to go. Putting in work, investing in yourself, not giving up, not allowing you yourself to dumb yourself down to fit in with a bunch of people that's never going nowhere. It took this teacher named Miss Glover. I love Miss Glover till this day. I give her so much respect because she's still alive. And it's crazy because she not only was she my teacher, she was my kid's teacher. <laughs> and my grandson. Look at that. Miss Glover is always amazing. Miss Glover taught you about yourself, and Miss Glover taught you about your history. Miss Glover would have colleges, black colleges come in and they have college day. And the students would mentor the younger kids and get them, you know, rev to go to a college or HBCU. She would inspire. She would bring Dr. Gerald D's there. And he would also give, you know, speeches and encouragement and all that. Now I'm an adult because now my kids are grown. Right? Now, mind you, I always had a love for Miss Glover. I would be in a class. She always told us about Africa and all that, about who we are. That's never changing. So I always kept, you know, I always had respect for her. I, and she used to always say, step toe. Those are not your kind of people. Why are you doing that? And I used to be like, ah, oh, Miss Glover, I love you. I love you. And I would walk away. But I always would go to a class. She would talk because she traveled all over the world. She was around amazing people. And um, she was. She was around amazing people, man. This lady's life should be a book or a TV. Right, only two teachers I know that their lives should be a t uh, TV. Miss Glover and Miss Thurston. Right, and that's a whole nother story because I love her too. So anyway, Miss Glover, now I'm grown, right? And like I said, I hung around these people that couldn't see past their nose, so to speak. They love the the drama, the mess, talking about people and people's relationships. You know, talking about people's kids, doing all that fucked up shit. Right. And sitting in the projects all day, not going nowhere, sitting on the bench, everybody smoking and drinking and talking about people. Then they start talking about each other, you know, fucking around with each other's man. Like that's the kind of people that I was around watching people get murdered. Like, you know, no one's progress. No one's progressing. Everyone is just happy in the shit that they they had. Right. Just happy about it. Never wanting to work, being on welfare, or the welfare will make you work for your check. So cleaning up parks and stuff. And I remember one year, right? I was on welfare, and they had put me to work. And um, I was a caseworker, so I had quit, right? I walked off the job. I was done. You know, I was burnt out, so I know when to quit. So... You know, I went and applied for welfare, and here I am. I'm working on this job, 
right? Well, first you have to go in and give you an assignment. So they ask you for, you know, it's like you building your resume or whatever. And mind you, I was a caseworker for homeless families, for Forest Hills Community House. I was a caseworker, right? Far from dumb. So when I left, because my mom passed away and I got burnt out, right? And I left. I left. I left Forest Hills. Wished him well, told him to have a beautiful life, and I left. So I went and got on welfare. And you have to fill out, like, you know, your resume and stuff like that. So I wrote my resume. The chick that was interviewing me was looking at me like, you was a caseworker? I said, yes. She said, how many years? I said, eight. She's like, so what happened? You, you fired? What? I said, no, I quit. Who quits when you get burnt out and there's no more um, a passion? You move on. I'm not a tree. I don't stay planted. Okay. So the first time they was going, she was going to send me to the parks to clean up the parks, right? Mind you, nothing wrong with the parks department. Blessings to it, right? But when her supervisor, tell you no lie, this was on uh, Northern Boulevard because <laughs> they took me out of Sufton. Right? So, because the welfare used to be on Sufton, at, Sufton and Jamaica Avenue. So, they put me in Northern Boulevard, which I, I didn't even understand that. But, hey. So, she was like, oh, yeah, you're going to have to clean the park, caseworker. That's all she kept on saying. So I, and I'm like, this bitch is trying to be funny, but okay. So, I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, because y'all saying I have to work for my check. So, okay. Y'all paying for daycare. So, okay. So, she sends the paperwork because you have to send it back then. You had to get your, not everything was computerized. So you had to take it to your supervisor and they had to sign off on it. And then you sit, you know, you're sitting there at a desk and her supervisor signs off on it and they give you your work assignment right there. Well, she must have gave it to him. This man comes around the corner, big uh, fucking uh, black dude. He said, you were what? I said, a caseworker. He said, where? I said, Forest Hills, like on the paper, Forest Hills Community House. I worked for Mary Abate and Stephen Gonzalez. He said, and your caseload? I said, it was a, a shelter that housed um, 65 families. I said, my caseload between me and Drew Bryant and Yvonne was uh, 15. I said, but we went to every shelter to also implement and set up our program, homeless families program. And we would pick families up on the weekend and tell them their rights and things like that. So I'm telling the whole program. And he looked at his, he looked at my worker and he said, you going to put her where? She was like in the parks. He said, nah. He said, she's going to come here and work. And she's going to be the fowler first. Now, mind you, a lot of those caseworkers, that's how they have their jobs. They went to work for their check. They did great. And they became, you know, employees, right? So a lot of them got their jobs like that. A lot of people got their jobs because back then in those days, the welfare would give you jobs. They would have you cleaning the buses on the Greyhound. And then you go and you get your license, you take the test. You're the first one to get the job because shit, you was working damn near for free. So, okay, because they wasn't paying you. The welfare was giving you your welfare check and paying you for daycare. So you was working for whatever company for free. And if you came every day and, you know, you did a great job and all of that, 
you will stay in your assignment. And then when it opens up, you get one of the supervisors and you'll get hired. So a lot of them got their jobs that way. Trust me, I know. So anyway, I was like, wow, okay. He said, yes, you will be the fowler. You'll go in, you know, go over here and meet this girl, which she was the head and she taught you and trained you. And that's what you do. I said, okay. So I came. Now, remember the chick, my worker. Now, she was pissed because she would rather see me in the fucking uh, parks. But now I'm in here handling cases and putting them and filing them. All the shit that they don't do. They just write it and, fill, you know, package the um, your folder and we file it, right? So we was the filers. Loads and loads, like pushing fucking carts, filing all day. That's all you do. You get a lunch and then you come back. And they file, you know, you file it. They give you, uh, back then you would get, you know, maybe like three, four hundred for your kids for daycare, then your lunch money and your car fare. So, you know, if you get maybe like $200 on welfare and cash for your cash benefits, you unbank like 600. Okay. Every other week. So now you're not working. So the welfare is paying your rent. You already getting food stamps. So you got a little extra. Right? Because you make sure your kids is good or whatever. So now you got 600 1200 a month that you're banking on. Okay. So only thing is you got to go to work. You have your coffee. There's no excuse. And they still gave you um, um tokens. Because back then they didn't have Metro cards. I, so you know I'm going way back. They'll give you the tokens. You'll go downstairs. After they give you your work assignment. And they'll give you the tokens. And you'll get a little bag with, you know, they and back. They and back. They and back. So... It's either you were never full time because you, you was working for, you know, your check. So you didn't do 40 hours. You would do three days, three days on, two days off. Now, the crazy part, it wasn't three days back to back. You'll work Monday, you're off Tuesday, Wednesday, you'll come back Thursday and Friday. Or you are off Monday, you come to work Wednesday, Thursday, you're off Friday, and then you will work on a Saturday because some welfare offices is open on Saturday. So... They make your schedule, not you. You don't have no, you can't be like, yo, I can't work this day or nothing like that. Like, what's your excuse? We're paying for um, daycare. So, and I'm, I don't mean daycare for a building. They're writing a check to someone to watch your kids. So you don't have an excuse at all. Coming this motherfucker sick, broken leg, all that, you better be here if you want these benefits. You don't want these benefits because we're going to sanction you. You're not going. And then you, you'll either go find your job or you're going to be sanctioned for three months. So now you got to get a fair hearing. It's like a process. So you do better just going to work. So I wind up getting a job. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you want to cry. Sometimes you play the fool. You just have to hold on. That was a crying moment. I was done because I went. Now, mind you, I'm still hanging around these people that are loving the gossip. Now I'm feeling I'm missing out, you know, um, doing just crazy shit. And I'm getting in the gossip at the work because that's what I'm drawn to. That's all I know. Okay. And, it, and it's sad because that's not all I know, but that's what I would tell myself. That's all you know. You hang with these people, smoke a weed, all of that. So the lady got on my nerves, my worker. So I walked off. I'm like, yo, fuck this shit. I walked off. So before they sanction you, they give you another job opportunity. 
she just knew she was going to put me in the parks. Here her supervisor go again. He said, nope, nope, we can't put you in the parks. And mind you, I'm a healthy person sitting there. He said, nope. He said, I'm not going to put you in the parks. He said, they need assignment in the Board of Education. These were opportunities that was given to me. And I really was the fool. He said, go over there on Queens Boulevard and you ask for this person. And because he assumed that me and my caseworker wasn't seeing eye to eye. So he was like, I'll put you somewhere else. I don't want you to, you know, miss these opportunities. So I was working in the Board of Ed. Filing. Now, back then, those people that got put on, they was making hella cash. Right? Board of Ed. I wasn't working in districts. I was working in the Board of Head, the, the head fucking building in New York on Queens Boulevard. Here I am having access to everything, filing, putting names of new students in the computers, their ID numbers, all of that. Seeing all the little blue cards come because you have to file those two and the board because they pick them all up. You have two copies. That's why they always have on the blue thing, the duplicate. One stays in the school, the other one goes to the Board of Ed. And we were those people that was putting all that shit together. My friends was home in the projects, being in some gut drama, Jackie and all of them. They was fighting each other, all of that. She was like, bitch, you need to be here. You, I, why are you doing that? Playing the fool. Stupid. Nice assignment. Even everybody that knew, like, yo, where they at you at? Board of Ed. Yo, that's sweet. The first what? I didn't see that. I saw it as... Man, I don't need to be around these people. Fuck. I ain't coming here. Q60 took me right there. So I ain't have to go too far. Very convenient. Beautiful opportunity. what I do? Leave. Got sanctioned. Right? And then my husband, God bless his dad, he said, yo, we moving to Atlanta. I said, what? He said, we can't do this. We can't. Can't do this. But then I started changing. I started growing up. I started seeing this right here is not for me. I don't want to sit around and be around this gossip shit <laughs> talking about people. Why? If we're not helping them, then why are we discrediting them? Why are we talking about them? What goes on in their house? What does that have to do with me? They're not abusing the kids. They, they're functional. They're doing whatever they want. But why do I care of who they fucking? Why do I care if they're out here getting a job? Why am I looking down on these people that's doing the adult shit? We're the ones doing the adolescent shit. We're the ones doing the fucked up shit. They're doing what's right. They're going to work. They're making sure their kids in school. So why am I laughing at that? That's the mentality that I was around. You laughing at someone that really has a job, that's really doing shit. You think that's funny. So you make up rumors. You you lie about these people. But no one stood up to say, yo, the fuck you doing? No one. So now I'm slowly learning. I'm changing my friends. I started hanging under Miss Glover and them. Now I'm adult. I would go. She had a, a program that was for parents. Self-esteem, building up your self-esteem. I became the PTA president of the school. Started hanging around different people. Started going to the um, 
the district meetings, started going to the community board meetings, started being conscious of my community. I would hang out with Miss Nichols and them. You know, these are women that's like, yo, you educate yourself, go back to school. I went back to school. I changed my environment, my people, my energy, my thoughts of me. And I owned what I was supposed to do, right? I took accountability for my life. My friends that I left them there sitting in the bench dogged me for the gods. Sherelle and them dogged me for the gods. They talked about me, called housing and said that um, I was selling drugs out of my apartment. Dogged me for the gods. Dogged me. Talked about me. Dogged me for the gods. This was 20-something years ago. Dogged me for the gods. Now my husband goes, now it's time for us to move. Let's go and get a life. Let's give these children an opportunity. So we moved to Atlanta. Whole new set of people. Now when I told them, because these are my friends. Hey, I'm moving to Atlanta. Oh my God, you're going to fail. Oh, you're going to go down there. You're never going to be anything. Why would you leave? You could stay right here in the projects. Oh my God. You're, and you following a man. Oh, you're going to lose everything. Why would you say that? Watch. Watch, your kids are going to take you taken away. Oh, my God, they're going to die. They're going to kill them. Like, this was the stories and the shit they would tell me. So I left. I was in Atlanta for 20 years. 20. I would come and visit until my ex-husband said, we're not going back to New York. And I was like, why? He said, yo, they're doing the same shit. Yo, come on. So we would go to different places, South Carolina, North Carolina, Hendersonville, North Carolina, South Carolina, Augusta. We would go different places, Florida. We'd go any place. New York was always, if we have to see, you know, somebody in the family, we drove up to get our dogs or, you know, somebody was getting married or having a baby or was something. Then we'd come up to New York. Other than that, mm -mm. for what? That's all he kept on saying, for what? We're adults now. We're grown. We don't need to go back. To, to do what? So you can sit on, the port, sit on the bench in the projects? Fuck no. No. We got responsibilities. And I did that. So I left for 20 years. 20 years I was gone. Went and worked. Met friends. Traveled. Went to the Bahamas. That was the first time I ever went overseas. Met amazing people would go all over the place. Had friends all over the fucking world. And was, and was happy. My kids got to meet some amazing people. You know? Even the worst people were still amazing. Because you learned a lesson from them. What not to do. So, and we did. And it was great. Because... I saw myself as being prosperous. I saw that I didn't have to sit and worry about other people's lives when I was too busy making sure mom was okay. I had children. I had a husband. I had a household. And I had a job. I got to be on TV. Back in the day, they used to have this TV where um, they would go on dates. 
And I remember, because I used to work at Candlesticks, and they came in to go on dates. And the reason why I remember the show, because the dude name was Craig, and he was going on a date. And I was like, wow, that's my husband's name. So I remember when it came on, it would come on late at night, right? They would see if they, you know, work out and stuff. They'd do little things. So they came in the Candlesticks. And I remember one of my friends in New York wrote me, you know, they had hit me up. And it was like, hey. Were you on TV? I said, maybe. They was like, no, on this dating show. Like, yo, you make candles? I was like, yeah. So that's when everybody started ordering candles, and I make sure they were great. You know, I wouldn't have had those opportunities if I would have stayed like I was. I wouldn't have had those opportunities if I would have continued on the path of destruction because that's nothing but a path of destruction. And to be honest, all those people I was once hanging out with got on drugs so bad. I thank God for Poochie. Poochie was a crackhead. She used to be like, baby girl, I don't need you to do that. Those people are me. That They're going to become me. I don't need you to do that. I hung around prostitutes, crackheads, all of that. Not because of what they did. Because of their life experience. That's why I hung around them, because they gave me knowledge. They gave me words of wisdom that I still carry with me. Yes, I am human. Sometimes I'll take it there. But then I have to sit back and remind myself how far I came. I've seen people go and do some amazing things. And because they haven't dealt with their angers, their insecurities, right? And they're always being right. And nobody should do that. That's unfair. The adolescent shit. They wind up losing everything. And all today and yesterday, I heard my mother say, do not allow someone that has nothing make you lose everything. Because my mom used to tell me that. She used to be like, what's wrong with you? Oh, because they shouldn't be lying on me. And why are they doing that? She was like, baby. And my father walking, must Jesus bear the cross along? And I used to be like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Like, it's wrong. They're talking about me. Oh, my God. They're stopping me. But did they really? All the shit that they said and did, I still wound up going to Atlanta, living down there for 20 years. I still wound up doing some amazing things. I remember when I wrote my first book, my pops was my number one cheerleader. And even when he died, I found my book that he kept in an envelope, in one of those big yellow envelopes. He kept it all those years. And it's my book was called Healing From Within. <laughs> and he kept that. And he showed everybody on his job because he was so proud that his baby girl was back on track. But did they really stop me? No. By the fact, they fueled me. They, they encouraged me. For all of the hatred, the negativity, and all that just made me even better. and made me go even harder. Not to prove them wrong. Them, after a while, I stopped caring. But I knew inside that everyone wanted to see me fail, right? I knew that. Everyone wanted to see me fail. But I also knew there was some black girl, some black young mother, needed an example that somebody can make it. And I wanted to be the example that no matter what you go against, anything from the, the, the backbiting, 
the public dragon, betrayal, lied on, humiliation, even you doing fuck shit. You still can clean yourself up and get yourself going. I didn't care about the haters. You know, after a while, they, they voices became sally. And they still kept on. Their voices became sour. They went so hard to, I had Jeffrey, because me and my husband used to work, right? I was a caseworker. He worked as being uh, security of the Q Club and whatever star that needed it. So Jeffrey would babysit my children. And Jeffrey was gay. They went and called BCW and said that I had a gay man fucking with my kids. Right? These are my friends. So I already know the mentality of an ignorant person. No shade. They don't care. They don't see the hurt, the loss, none of that. What they see is, oh, well, I told you. It's okay. I don't give a fuck because they're not moving nowhere. So they want you to be stagnant just like them. My friend Rachel used to always tell me there's always room at the, the pity table. The hardest part is removing yourself. And everybody can see through a magnifying glass. That shit is so easy. The hardest thing to put to pick up is a mirror. It's easy to pick up a magnifying glass. I can tell you everything that's wrong with your life. But when that shit goes to you and you see your own shit, nah, that shit hard. That's hard. So, like I said, that shit made me become deaf for the outside voices. Now, I, stood my, I went up to school, cursed their asses out, told them if, if they ever do some stupid shit like that again, I would destroy every part in their body and, and even the generations to come. Because it wasn't called for. Because I didn't hang with you. Or I started wanting better. You got angry. But you get the same 24 hours in a day like me. That was my mentality back then. So why would you go so hard to have my kids removed? Because I had a gay guy watching them. He wasn't molesting them. He wasn't touching them. He showed them how to be respectful. Your kids are going to somebody's house and jump up and down on the couch. My kids are going to sit down. They know how to act. They know how to walk in and say, hello, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. And Jeffrey made sure of that. What did you say? No, sir. Okay. Did you do your homework? Yes. How's your grades? Like, we had that. They didn't sit there and be like, faggot, faggot. No, what? No, no, no. You respect your elders. And that's what they were taught. But my friends couldn't see that. Oh, she got a faggot fucking around uh, taking care of her kids. So they called ACS. Me and my husband. I said, nope, these are women. I'll handle it. And I remember when Miss Glover asked me, she said, so are you trying to prove them wrong about, you know, um, this is why you're going so hard to change your life? And I said, no. She said, well, why are you changing your life? I said, because I want to be some young mother, some young black mother that society say they'll never be nothing because they had a kid at a young age or they um, didn't finish school or they dropped out. I want to be the example that you can go back. I want to be the example that you can take the dirt that these people try to bury you in and become the most beautiful fucking flower on the, on the block. She said, say no more. And she helped me. Any place I went, Miss Glover, would, I know that person. That's why I say, till this day, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I've made some beautiful networks because networking is the true money, 
Trust and believe that one. Because you can walk somewhere and if no one know you, they're not going to give you a shot. But if you know one person and you left them in a beautiful or le left your beautiful energy around them, they'll remember that and they'll repay that kindness. So, Miss Glover would call people if I had to go somewhere, if I had, you know, I needed help with, you know, something with the district that I didn't understand. She would, hold on, let me call this person. Blah, blah, blah. Be there tomorrow at two o'clock. They'll see you. Thank you. She was a resource beyond. And I remember when I got up, because I said, I want to go to college. Ms. Glover said, I can help you. I said, no, no, no. I got up one day and I just started going to college. I went to Hunter. And they told me to write a thesis. Well, I didn't have a college education. So I wrote what I would consider a book report. And Dr. Gerald Dees said, no, but I can help you to get your GED, get your, because I didn't even have my GED then. He said, I can help you. But I was there every morning, book bag, books, all of that. Just come in, walk into school, Hunter College. Just walk in, school is social work. And I would be there, sitting in class the whole night. I thought it was amazing, hearing the conversations. Sometimes they'd talk above me, but it was okay. I knew how to get a dictionary and, you know, look up the word. And sound it out and be like, oh, okay. So, yeah. And then when I had to write that thesis, I didn't know what the fuck a thesis was. <laughs> I wrote a book report for real. And they were like, you don't even go here. I said, no. No. I said, I'm in trouble. He's like, no. It's good. You want to be educated. That's great. Let me help you. I just had a problem with red tape. I didn't want to sit and do paperwork and do all of that. But sometimes you have to do all that. All the time, technically. So you can get to where you're going. So I gave up. And then one day I was like, yo, I can't do this. My mom passed away and I told her I would, I would become something. That she'll smile every day. She said, but I smile already. I said, but I want to be something great. Something, I want to touch great people. I remember when I met Tipper Gore and... Man, I went to Manhattan, me, Jewel, and uh, Yvonne. And we were, you know, out there making sure Section 8 and housing and homelessness have a, a voice. We were the voice of the people. My pops talked about that on his job for a good two weeks. My daughter is out there doing things and, you know, this is just the beginning. Man, my father was so fucking proud. For real. So I'm telling y'all right now, if you feel like people are coming at you, silence those voices. Don't let them stop you. Go and do great things. Be the example. Don't do it because you want to prove people wrong. They're already wrong. They slept on you. They slept on your greatness. I want you to be the example, to be the person that says, if they can do it, so can I. I need you to do it so the future generations say, they can do it, so can I. And I don't give a fuck if you learn how to make vegan casserole with using nothing but squash. Nobody done it, so now I need you to do it. My mom used to say, when you are looking for something and you can't find it, that means God birthed you to do it. You are the creator. Create something. That's the work today. Create you a better life. Create. Say goodbye to the old life. We don't, we're not doing the messy, the gossiping, the 
dogging people out, all of that. We're not doing that no more. We're not even giving that energy. Write an obituary about killing that part. That part no longer exists. Send her on her way. Let's send Beulah home. She ain't, she, she gone. Beulah died. That's the messy. Send Beulah home. Let's rebirth you. Because you were born for greatness. You are necessary. That means you're needed. If you're listening to this, you're up. You're functional. You know how to work a goddamn computer, a phone, whatever, to listen to me. So, you're born for greatness. Own that greatness. Silence everything. This message is not only for you, but it's for me too. I need you to become unstuck and go out and do something amazing. Be like Vanessa. Don't allow people to knock you off of your square. Be like Miss Glover. Connect with people, but leave us such a beautiful taste in their mouth, a beautiful positive energy that you'll be invited. And when you pick up the phone to call someone, they will automatically help you because they know that you're full of positivity. They know that you're really serious about what you do. Be like Jewel in them. Stand up for the voices that have no voices. Stand up for greatness and make sure you encourage everyone else and give them space and time so they can become great like you. Be my mother. No matter what life throws at you, strap yourself up and keep going. But most importantly, be you. Be your authentic self. That's the homework and the work for today. Write an obituary for that negative. Let's put it to rest. Let's kill it. It's dead. It's done. And now, let's write our goals of what it is we want to do. That's the spell work. Manifesting. So when you write your goal, you know you're going to take care of it. It's a gold. And we're going to do it. I love you all. Catch me on the show tonight of Get Mug Monday. And we'll finish this. So we're calling this Unstuck.